Hello, this is David Perlman for Conversations at the Wholenote.com in uh, February 2013. I'm here with Wallace Junta. Hello. Hello again. It's lovely to be back. Fifteen months ago is what it was. Good count. Mm-hmm, long I'm time. so precise in my head. Mm-hmm. You were just uh, preparing for a gala at Roy Thompson Hall and uh-huh. being um, not too forthcoming about an upcoming COC announcement. It's happening now. It's happening right now. Sesto. Actually, I'm Anio. Oh, you're um, Anio. Mainly, and I'm also the understudy for Sesto. You did Sesto the one night. I did. The second mm-hmm. performance, I went on as Sesto. Um, our Sesto had a, a really bad cold, and mm-hmm. um, that's how it works. We've also had replacements for Tito. Um, Michael Shada was sick. and mm-hmm. I was there that night. So one of the ensemble young men got to go on, and mm-hmm. it was uh, very successful. But yeah, that's just the reality of the business. That was Owen McCausland, wasn't Owen, it? Yeah. yeah, and he's in the Canadian Opera Ensemble at the moment, yeah. is he? Yeah, he's current member. Current member. And you haven't been there for two years, right? Owen? Yep, I had a season off. Mm-hmm. So my last season was 10-11, um, mm-hmm. and I sang in the Magic Flute. Mm-hmm. This time that year, in the winter, and that, that was my last production with them, yeah. So you've been, you've, been, you've been part of a couple of different young artist programs. Yes, right? two. COC Ensemble mm-hmm. and the Lindemann program at the, at the Met, yeah. right? Um, you just started with the Lindemann the first time we, I we had. talked. Yeah, and, and now I'm almost done. And we finished this May. It's what, a three year or a two year? It's two. It's it can two be years? three, but for mm-hmm. me, um, I'm going to do two. Because mm-hmm. it's my second program, and I think it's high time I just get out there and get going. Yeah, it <laughs> seems like you've got going, but I understand what you mean. Yeah. Um, so, so some of the things with programs like these are similar, but in other respects, they're they're quite different, I would imagine, mm-hmm. based on the realities of the, the, different companies. the different companies and where the young artists fit in. Indeed. We were talking just a little earlier uh, when we were talking about uh, uh, Clemenza, about Owen and having to step in yeah. and, and do Tito for Shada, what, three times? Three times. And, and we, see, we see this quite often in the the COC program that that the artists in the young program are in quite significant roles yes. from quite early on. They are. They're, they're very good about using their young artists and, and giving them opportunities when it's appropriate for them. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they do, I don't know if they were doing this when you were doing the program, but the ensemble does they were. it's now its own production of a main its they own were. day of a main stage so you, they were doing that while you were there i think my first year was their first time doing that okay. but unfortunately the year that i started um, the show it had only one part for my voice type and there was a girl who was in her third year who had seniority and I was new, so she got to do it. We had the same voice type, and oh, yeah. there was only one mezzo role, so right. I wasn't really a part of that production. I got to sing with the chorus. Um, and then mm-hmm. in my second year, um, I was second lady in the Magic Flute, but I was also second lady in the main stage run, so right. the ensemble show was just another run for me. Right. It was just the 14th 
the thirteenth um, of twelve other performances of flute we did. Uh huh. Yeah. There was Lauren Siegel was in that one as well. Was she was in you? my main stage. Your main cast. stage. Cast. Lauren Siegel and Betty Allison were my yeah, other ladies. Yeah, that's who I remember. Yeah. We had so much fun. Yeah. But uh, with the so with the Lindemann program, there isn't. Uh, how are they different? Well, the way that they do their productions is different. Um, the Lindemann production is a separate thing. It was the cozy that we did um, this past November. Um, it's uh, its own thing. It's kind of for their situation. It works much better because for the Met to do a main stage version of one of their shows with an ensemble cast would be kind of. I think a little bit weirder in New York, mm -hmm. and also it's such a big house, it's so much more pressure, and I guess um, it just didn't seem realistic. Plus, the theaters, there's no nights off. They, there's right. something like they don't have empty time, so oh, they can't really do that in the same way. They can't just plug us in. So, we do a separate production in a smaller mm -hmm. theater in New York, um, and we have orchestra, chorus, costumes, beautiful sets, but um, it's a, a young artist only, which is and nice. A young orchestra only? Or yeah, is it, it was is the Juilliard Orchestra. Oh, okay. And they were fantastic. But we had Alan Gilbert conducting from the New York Philharmonic, so uh -huh. certainly no compromises made there. Yeah, but a, different, but a different approach. Yeah, it was about a 1,500 seat theater, which is a really great size for, for mm -hmm. us. Most of us are in our mid 20s, so to be given the responsibility to sing a lead role at the Met when you're still in a training program at that age would be a, a little bit mm -hmm. more of a, just because it's such a big theater compared to the Four Seasons Center, which is it's actually very friendly for young voices. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, if the Met is really ideal for that, for, for young singers, you know, to make right. their debut. <laughs> so you said that was Cosi this past week? Yes, it was Cosi. So that's giving you a... That's yep. given you a real head start on set. next year's. I had done it before that, even though uh, uh -huh. at the Glenn Gould School when I was in my last year. So right. this will be my third cozy coming up. Uh -huh. Won't get stale, we hope. No, no, no. no, no. This is going to be a completely different production. Lovely. Yes, I think Adam McGoyan has envisioned some, some very imaginative and uh, fantastical stuff for our production. Tell me a bit about, uh, about uh, Clemenza. Clemenza, yeah. sure. Yeah. Another parallel, although it's not quite as um, a very specific mm -hmm. one, you know, group or cultural event that we're basing it on. It's it's a an updated version, but it's not it's not quite as focused only on one thing, right? So we have a set that kind of, to me, it it reminds me of Lincoln Center, but oh. I've heard also to people say it looks like the Kennedy Center in Washington which I haven't been to, so I, I don't know for sure, but mm -hmm. it's the same kind of 70s-era architecture, white marble, large, expansive facades, and I guess a very imperial and even intimidating uh, atmosphere that's created. It's stark, you know. You're somewhere between an opera house and a train station if you go to one of these really old-style yeah. yeah. train stations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the costumes are kind of... 70s, um, my, but with a little bit of a, a traditional Roman mm -hmm. you know, flavor to it. I do have a toga, mm -hmm. but it's updated with headband, aviators, and running shoes, like mm -hmm. 70s style running Sony shoes. Sony Walkman, joggers, equipment, and stuff. 
Yep, um, I don't have a Walkman. That would be really neat. I wish I did, but I have uh, everything that a runner would need, and I'm pretty much running all the time in the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw I saw it the night that Owen did. Uh, he did, did it three times. Oh, I saw well, I saw one of them anyway. The, and he did almost half the run. Really? Three out, well, three out of eight. It's wow. a lot for a cover. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So did you, with that particular production, does, does a production like that arrive kind of pretty much all blocked in? Did you get to work with Christopher Alden, or is mm -hmm. he, he was Very in much. for it? Yeah? He was there for the entire time. Oh, yeah. um, you know, the first day until he left after opening night. And what I gather from him is that the, the bones of it stayed the same from the original mm -hmm. one in 2009 they did in Chicago, but the characters that that we developed actually ended up quite different than the original cast. So I'm sure he's always open to that, to exploring another aspect of a, of a character. And it was the same basic structure, but mm -hmm. yeah, I saw a video from the original production and I think we took it in a new direction. So you felt like you were able to bring something into it and have, and there was room to evolve a, to evolve a character, or you were... Well, it wasn't so much what I wanted. Um, you know, that's not how it should be. The director's mm -hmm. vision is, that's why we have directors, I guess. Yeah. But what we were able to do is, um, over the course of the four weeks of rehearsals that we had, what Christopher originally had expected the character would be, it did evolve. Uh -huh. And it evolved through, I guess, how his original vision manifested through me as a performer. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily what I would do if someone said to me, create the character of Anio, you have carte From, blanche, yeah. what do you think it should be? Right. But it's, a, it's a, an equally valid and very interesting um, take on him, which I, I'm loving more every time I do it. Mm -hmm. And it's different from what originally Christopher wanted, and it's different from what I wanted, but I think we both ended up quite happy. Uh -huh. That's how it should work. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, the the pants rolls in that particular opera are, they're curious, they're hard for an audience to, to wrap your brain around because some yeah. of these, I mean, if you think of a role like, like Fidelio, mm -hmm. where it's a woman who is disguising herself as a man, there's a... The audience knows. And the audience along knows with and they're along with, but here, there's more of a head it's scratch a to, belief. you know, what, what, what is it? <laughs> Especially when, as we have in our production, um, the costumes are kind of androgynous. Yeah, they're very much they they're are very much very so. They're not very clearly telling you what you're supposed to see mm -hmm. when you look at that character. In fact, I think some of the critics have been confused and mm -hmm. have mentioned things in their reviews about thinking I was a girl because mm -hmm. <laughs> I have longer hair. Yeah, the, the it was a thing. very androgynous yeah. costume. Now I can understand how that would yeah. happen. If you didn't know the story really yeah. well and read the program notes, yeah. you could see that I could go either way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was interesting because I was, I was wondering in Mozart's own time who would have played those roles. Um, well, um, Castrati or women. So those would have been Castrati roles in Mozart's time still? I don't know for sure I don't know either. if in this opera, I mean, I know that there were Castrati. When Mozart was writing opera, Castrati were a thing. They, mm -hmm. they existed and people wrote for them and they sang a lot of roles. But I don't know if Sesto and Anio would have been women from the start or uh -huh. Castrati originally. 
Yeah. I should really check that out. That's an interesting, interesting one. I have a feeling it's women, mm -hmm. only because of the range of it. Mm -hmm. I've sung roles before that were originally castrati, and they, they're written in a different way. Mm -hmm. They almost feel higher. Than, than this, which is closer to an, I mean, to an alto, to an alto role, well, or to a male alto role. I don't know. Uh, Sesto is so? a little lower. Mm -hmm. The range for the both guys is about the same, but the arias for Sesto sit in the middle, and then they extend lower and higher in um, in coloratura and in certain ornaments and stuff. But the average range of anio is higher. Mm -hmm. It's it's just a little higher, like. They both go to the same extremes, but one, the one that I'm singing, is is a little higher. It's more like uh, the range of a soprano role, like Susanna or something mm -hmm. from Marriage of Figaro. Just just a little bit higher than my usual mezzo thing, but I can do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm figuring it out. Mm -hmm. So have you have you got to sing uh, at the from from the stage at the Met so far? Not in a performance, but I have twice for auditions, uh -huh. so I know what it feels like, and uh -huh. it feels amazing. Does it require a bigger? Does it require a bigger voice? Is it a forgiving hall? Is it a yeah, hard hall to it's sing? It's a very forgiving hall. Hmm. I don't think it requires a particularly bigger voice. I don't think small voices are ideal for it, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't have to modify mine. Like I wouldn't feel being out on that stage that that I wasn't giving enough. I have a, a kind of medium-sized voice, I think you would say, and I've got plenty. Mm -hmm. It's a great acoustic, and it's it's just designed to make voices sound great. Yeah. Well, plenty of voice is no problem in this one. It sounds beautiful in the you four, mean, seasons. four Seasons. Four yeah, Seasons, again. Lovely. It's about half the size, or oh, just a little yeah. more than half, but yeah. that's another one where uh, it's very forgiving, and you don't have to do anything to accommodate the hall. It works mm -hmm. for you. So COC, stay, let's stay with there just for another sure. couple of minutes. Um, the uh, as I, as I was mentioning when we were sitting down, the last time we we were talking, uh, they hadn't announced their upcoming season yet. So right. the, so this role was so embargoed. We couldn't, we couldn't talk yeah, about it. But now they have. But now they have, and you're coming back next year yeah. again. What's your what's that one? This is Così fan tutte, ah. and I'll be Dorabella which I love, um, and I just recently sang in New York. Um, my program at the Met put on their own production, and uh -huh. we did Cozy, so. And who's your, who's your sister? Oh, my friend Layla. Oh, really? Her name's Layla Claire. She's yeah. a soprano from BC, yeah. and she was in the program with me at the Met when I started. She uh -huh. graduated last year, so we had one year overlap. Oh, yeah. And I still get called Layla in the hall by Met staff, because <laughs> we apparently look a lot alike. We don't think we do, but uh -huh. everyone else does. It's the Canadians, right? Yeah. It's the redheads. It's the redhead Canadians. Yeah. We, yeah, we have only one thing in common, I think, and that's red hair. And it's not even the same red. But well, there you go. But if, if people think I'm her, I'm flattered because she's gorgeous. So it'll be really neat. I guess tr traditionally, cozy, they don't try and find two singers that look alike. But uh -huh. why not, you know, if you can? Why not? It would work. And it might also add another level of confusion, <laughs> confusion <and> interest, <laughs> maybe a subtle undertone of, I don't know, je ne sais quoi, something yeah. that would um, confuse the boys even more uh -huh. if, if they might not actually know which one of us they were talking to. <laughs> so a lot of Mozart in yeah, yeah. your life at the moment. Yeah. 
and and beyond Mozart. I mean, do you, you, do, do you feel like, like you do you feel you like you're lining up your bucket list of roles and stuff? Yeah. Well, I've got the things that I want to do all sorted out. Just waiting for people to hire me for them. Oh yeah. Which are the ones you want to do? I want to do more Britain. Uh -huh. um, I've done already the two roles in Britain that I like the best. This is Nancy in Albert Herring and mm -hmm. Hermia in Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm -hmm. um, but I could never get enough of it. So hmm. even though there's not a great deal of Britain being done, um, actually the Met's doing some Britain next year, I think. Mm -hmm. And so is uh, CRC's CRC. doing Peter Grimes. But that's not one of the year. ones that really not, has yeah. anything for me. And Billy Budd doesn't either. Really. Mm -hmm. so there you go. No, pretty much just those two mm -hmm. for me, um, but that's enough. Mm -hmm. And if I can do at least every couple years a Britain opera, I'd be happy. Mm. Um, Rossini I love. It's easy for me. <clears throat> so Rosina, Cenerentola, Italiana, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I'd be happy to do as much of that as, as the world is willing to offer me. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I'd also like to move into some slightly heavier French repertoire, like uh, Gluck and Berlioz. Hmm. I'm not sure how many years I would need before that. that's totally ideal, but I think some of it I can start with. Mm -hmm. I love it, yeah. So where's, so where's art song fitting into the picture with a busy opera life at the moment? Well, it might sound busy, but the thing is, you know, if you do two or three productions a year, which you know, at this early stage in my career, that's about as much as I can hope for. Mm -hmm. That leaves a lot of time in between for recitals and concerts. So I have plenty of time. And I don't know how it happened, but I've been really lucky in the early phase of, of my career to have quite a few offers for recitals. Mm -hmm. I think for some singers, maybe that's something they have to fight harder for. They have to really try and get the concert things to go. But I've always had almost more than I can accommodate. Um, and it's not necessarily the biggest organizations or the most prestigious. I mean, sometimes, like Roy mm -hmm. Thompson Hall, that's great. Yeah. But uh, I'll, I'll do recitals pretty much anywhere that I can, if it's a good venue and I'm able to use a, a pianist that I like to work with. Uh -huh. Last March, just after uh, your first visit here, was when you did the, when you did the Rufus Wainwright mm -hmm. Song Cycle for Music Toronto, yeah, and um, and um, you were working with Stephen Philcox mm -hmm. for that one, and um, so I had two questions about that. One was whether whether the the Wainwright cycle, whether you've done that again or whether that I haven't done it again yet. Um, I think I would absolutely, um, but. Most of the recitals I do are in the kind of Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal area, and I just thought that might be too much of it. Because it's yeah. only been a year, right? So right. since then, I thought I should do it, I'd give it a little more time, or do it somewhere far away. Has he been running with it? Has he, has he been trying to work with it, with, uh, with other people? You mean trying contests? to get other singers to yeah. perform it? I don't think he's... Um, Pushing it um, actually just was published about a month ago, and oh, okay. they sent me a copy. It was really nice. I opened it up, and inside there's a thank you to um, myself and the pianist that I was preparing it with in New York. Uh -huh. We actually worked with Rufus quite a bit on 
on the manuscript, on, on the actual notations, because he's coming at it from a pop side. I mean, he has a actually quite impressive knowledge of classical music, but mm -hmm. and and the classical, not just the the oeuvre, but the actual technical aspect. He knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. But he, what he asked me to do was to help him notate it in a way that someone like me would be able to execute, would know what he was asking for. So he right. said, this is what I want it to sound like, and he would demonstrate, and this pianist friend of mine, and I would go, okay, well then you need to write this and that and mm -hmm. that. So I guess this is the first score I've helped to create, and it was amazing to see it. Now that it's published, I think it'll be um, probably programmed more, but it wasn't published when I, when I did it, and it up until January, I think it hadn't been. So it's a big yeah. challenge in terms of the energy of those of those songs, where he is his own accompanist, mm -hmm. and whether he can be as schizo as he likes without having to arrange it ahead of time with his alter ego. It's harder <laughs> when it's a singer working with an accompanist. There has to be a huge level of uh, I don't know what you would call it, simpatico or yeah. something. You just have to really listen and know the person. And that's why I chose Steven, because mm -hmm. Steven's been my, my main pianist and, and coach since I was 19. Back to Royal Conservatory. Yeah, since yeah. my first year at the con. So if, if any pianist knows what I want and what I'm going to be doing next and can, mm -hmm. can read me, I would say it's him. So it wasn't really that hard for us. Mm -hmm. We just kind of fell into it, and we both love the music. It's not easy, but mm -hmm. it's very rewarding. So speaking of speaking of uh, recitals, you've got one coming up in March, mm -hmm. and in fact, that was our main excuse or pretext for doing this interview okay. this time, um, because it's nice to have something that's present and uh, something that you're doing currently, but also something coming up. It's yeah. nice to have that. So this is uh, this is for uh, Roy Thompson Hall's uh, Art of they call it Art it's of Song Canadian Voices Canadian Voices. The the series, yeah. yeah. And they do it at the Glen Gould Studio, which yeah. I'm grateful for because I think it's a, well, because they have that venue in their umbrella. Mm -hmm. If I could choose between the two, I'd, I'd rather use Glen Gould Studio. Mm -hmm. I love the hall, Roy Thompson Hall. I actually worked there for mm -hmm. four years, so I saw a lot of vocal recitals in there. And it works for some voices, but I think for mine, it wouldn't be the ideal. It's not It's not a great, and I mean, it depends where you're sitting in the hall sometimes True. as well as yeah. to whether, I've been on the second mezzanine for people who you thought would Even take no with, prisoners in that hall, and, and really the hall has kind of brought them to their knees a little bit. Um, I agree. The big voices I've heard there, mm. they sounded good, but it doesn't show, I mean, it wasn't designed for solo recitals. It wasn't. Not so it's no, it's nothing against Roy Thompson Hall. It's just, yeah. you know, it's, a it's nice to have hall. a right-sized hall for what you're actually. Exactly. And I also like I like to be able to almost see everybody that I'm singing to, at least know that if the lights were up, they could see my face mm -hmm. clear enough to know what my expression is and and really see my eyes because mm -hmm. that's that's a major tool for communication. Windows to the soul, yeah. as they say. Yeah. And since my mouth is doing all kinds of wacky, contorted stuff, trying mm -hmm. to get the vowels out, the eyes are <laughs> the only thing that's left kind of mm -hmm. available to communicate. Like While that. the mouth is wrestling with all the eyes, yes. the eyes are not wrestling. <laughs> Aha, right. Nice one. <laughs>
Yeah, who's your, uh, so tell me about your program for, the, for that recital. Is, uh, have you got it all? I do, I have it all sorted out. Uh -huh. um, just kind of got the last piece into place uh, a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a long time coming. It's a program that I originally started working on in uh, undergrad and I had thought at that point that I would do it for a school recital and use uh, a few of my colleagues, uh, instrumentalists, um, to kind of make up a small chamber orchestra, which I, mm -hmm. I actually arranged it myself for a wind quintet. It, it wasn't written for that, but I said, okay, well, you know, you can play the horn line here, and you can play the bass line there, and I had it all planned out, and they were all excited we were gonna do it, and then I think there was some bureaucratic roadblock, and it wasn't, it wasn't doable, mm -hmm. but I've wanted to do this for so long, and it's basically um, The Seven Deadly Sins by Kurt Feil, which is an orchestrated piece. Mm -hmm. And it also has a male vocal quartet, which I was going to replace with winds, you know. Right. Um, so now I'm doing it with just piano, and what we've done instead, instead of, of filling in the blanks with instrumentalists, we're filling in the blanks with um, other pieces on themes of sin that fit with the, uh, the original intention that Vile had for the work, which is not the traditional biblical sinning concept that we all kind of learn mm -hmm. as children, thou shalt not do this and that. It's, it's really um, highlighting how sin in our society has been completely reimagined to, to almost be the opposite of what, what was originally classified as. And this takes place, um, I think, in the 20s. Um, he didn't write it then, but I think it takes place in the 1920s. So the protagonist, Anna, is sent out into the world by her family to make money for them, send it back home so that they can build a house. And I guess they're struggling. They live in Louisiana in a very small community, and they don't have any money. So they send her out, and they tell her, do whatever you have to do, but just get rich quick. So she, she's a dancer, so she tries to get a job, you know, legitimate job, dancing mm -hmm. at a, a theater or with a ballet or in movies, whatever she can. And she finds that in this cycle that she's fallen into, that she gets drawn further and further into corruption and sin. But she doesn't want to be a part of that. She wants simplicity, she wants a home, she wants to fall in love with a person that she loves, not for money, but for, for who they are. Um, she wants uh, to, to eat well, take care of herself, and she wants to, to relax and basically live the way that she should be living. But every time she does that and indulges in her, you know, her natural instincts, her family says that she's lazy, that she's greedy, that she's lustful, that she's doing all these things that really she's doing the opposite. But Interesting. they want her to stay with this rich old guy who's going to pay for, basically as a courtesan, pay for her fur coats and give her lots of money and she'll have to sleep with him. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't want to do it. She falls in love with a, a poor young man who treats her very well and respects her and they say, no, you can't do that. you got to stay with this old guy because Fernando, your young lover, is not going to pay the bills. So what I've done is I've tried to find songs to complement the vile piece that, uh -huh. um, that fit with this kind of 
flip side of the coin. And you're going to interweave them? Or? Yeah. The so it becomes a through line for yeah. the for the. There's recite. no intermission. Um, the vile structure is prologue, seven sins, epilogue. Uh-huh. And we have, for each of the seven sins, um, one or two more songs to kind of make a little group. So there'll be seven little groups with a prologue and an epilogue. Huh. I like it. That sounds nice. So, and and a through line, a character through line as yes. well to work yes. with, which is great. Absolutely. Um, not having to imagine it sometimes. Um, some song cycles, um, you know, th- there's a kind of emotional character through line, but you can't overdo it because you can't you can't do Winterreise as if it's the same guy talking all the time. Or, no. But this you really can. You can. Although the, the other songs that I've got are all over the map. You know, they range from Monteverdi to Tartuela to Schubert ah. to Cole Porter, you know, uh-huh. everything under the sun. Don't put your daughter on the stage, Mrs. Worthington. That's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. No, that's not the one we picked. It's not for this one. But we have Love for Sale ah, from um, The New Yorkers, that's which that's for Lust. Mm-hmm. Nice. Old love, new love, any love, who's, but true love. Who's your pianist for this one? Uh, his name's Ken Noda. Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to work with Stephen for this one because um, we needed to, Ken and I have been working on this in New York for quite a long time, and I didn't uh-huh. want to leave it to the last minute. I, I wanted mm-hmm. to be able to, I figured I needed someone from New York so that we could prepare it together starting, you know, many months before, like I, I would always want to try and do. Um, so we've been working in New York, and then I'm here now, but we're going to have another month to prepare right before, as I go back on March 1st. Mm-hmm. And he's, um, he's on the staff at the Met. He's um, the music director, I suppose you could say, the artistic, well, not the artistic director. I think the head coach would probably be the appropriate term for the Lindemann for program. For the Lindemann yeah. program. Uh-huh. I don't know what the official titles are, but he's also um, been for a long time uh, James Levine's assistant and uh, right-hand man. So definitely um, a very lucky me to be able to work with Ken. Mm -hmm. He's the most supportive and encouraging and positive, wonderful person. And he loves the program too, like really loves it. Sounds like a good one. And um, jumping around all over the map, um, I noticed the, the Glenn Gould Foundation is announcing the the new Glenn Gould prize winner next week, I yeah. think. And I noticed Stephen a and I are press see. release that said that you had been added to the program. Yes, they were They were trying to find a way to fit me in, and we've been back, back and forth about it for a while. But I'm glad I get to work with Stephen again, because this uh-huh. is something we've done before together. I think two years ago, two prizes ago, we did a little mini recital for that same event. Oh, did you? Yeah, so okay. I'm going to reprise it again. I think this one's from the stage at the Sony Center, though, isn't it? Or, or yeah, the other one was at the AGO. Yeah, which was a little friendlier. Are they going to mic you at the Sony Center? No. Well, they mic'd me at the AGO because mm-hmm. it was a big, big kind of conference Barn hall room. room yeah. and there was no acoustic. Mm-hmm. But we're going to be on stage at the Sony Center and also the audience is on stage, I think. Oh, okay. I think they have um, oh, it's dinner, so I think they have yeah. the tables on the stage. They've got it all opened up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll probably be okay without a mic. So what are you going to do there? Do you know? Well, yes, you must know. You it's know, next week. <laughs> they only asked me like three days ago yeah. officially to do this. Originally, it was going to be a duet program mm-hmm. with another singer who couldn't do it. 
So me as a solo performer is new, and um, I've got some ideas. I think I'll probably be singing uh, the Segadilla from Carmen, mm -hmm. um, and I don't know for sure. I mean, Stephen and I have probably like 10 or 12 hours of repertoire that we could choose from, could choose so from, yeah. we might just play it by ear. It's more nice. exciting that way. So things like that do just pop up out of, the, out of the blue? They really do. More here than in New York. Uh -huh. But I guess I've got some good contacts in Toronto now. And in, in, on the New York scene, I remember when you were doing the, the Wainwright, you talked about how that cycle was done at some other, the Brooklyn, uh, someplace in it was Brooklyn, done I think you in said? in an interesting way. Not in Brooklyn, it was Not done. Not in Brooklyn. His opera was in Brooklyn oh, okay. at the Brooklyn Academy. And it was actually around the same time that I was preparing the cycle and working mm -hmm. with him that his opera came out. So the other performance of this song cycle was with the New York City Opera. Yeah, City okay, Opera. Okay, New York City Opera. They did opera. a sort of... They, they reinterpreted it, though. They, they had four different singers, mm -hmm. and they did it like a, I don't know. They, they split it all up, and they just took turns. And it, it wasn't what he originally intended for it, for it to be, but it worked. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, I think, November 2011? Yeah. It was interesting. I, I saw that performance, and I really liked it. But I like it also as, as one person telling the story, you know? Because it really does tell the story of how he dealt with the passing of his mother. And I think it's neat from, like we were talking about song cycles before, yeah. to just go on that journey. And find the through line and then mm. have a chance to... It's such a concentrated medium. Mm -hmm. I don't know how anyone who does opera can't use it as I know. basic training for being able to There's a lot go from zero to 60 and... <laughs> Four measures. Uh huh. Know, hit the ground. From song running. to song, you're yeah. a completely different person. Yeah. It's more difficult than opera. Mm -hmm. I think that's a unanimous agreement among singers that recitals and, and art songs are, are more difficult. More it's, exposed. You have to create the costumes, the sets, the lighting, the orchestra, the whole thing in, in one two or three minute microcosm. Yeah. And then let it go. And then completely and start a new show. Yeah. Do yeah, like Tristan, and then do Marriage of Figaro, and then the next one is like mm -hmm. Damnation du Faust. And it's just uh, kind of like exercise for the brain, mm -hmm. like weightlifting. Yeah, it is. It mm -hmm. is. Um, Toronto Symphony Orchestra, did I see your name yeah. next year? Next, next season? April. I'm going to be doing a duet program. Um, the 26th of April, 26th and 27th, around you, there. And you know, you know what that one's all about yet? Or? Well, I think it's like, you know, the Lachmé duet and the Barcarolle from Hoffmann and Solaria from Figaro. It's just standard uh, female duets. Oh, okay. Like the popular opera duets for, for soprano and mezzo. So you'll get to revisit from the stage some of your record store repertoire? Or? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad that my debut on that stage will be something, you know, it's not going to throw me off. That's, yeah. that's something I've done before. It'll be a really comfortable and um, fun way to, well, I've sung on this stage before, but not mm -hmm. officially. 
only yeah, after hours. I, rem I remember you telling me that story. I know what it last sounds time. like. It was, it was great. I was wondering if uh, the Met had a record shop saying, so have you, you haven't snuck out on that stage after hours? Or? Oh, sure. I yeah. mean, but I'm allowed now because yeah. I'm a young artist there. So. Right. So you just to go. Although it's really hard to do with the Met because when they're not doing a show, they're rehearsing something else or they're setting up or they're changing sets between two. Mm. It's very rare that is empty. Hmm. Like, never, ever empty. Wow. There's always at least like 30 or 40 stagehands doing something. <laughs> it's a, like a hive of, of ants, that building. It's constant activity. It's like a, just this pulsing energy. It never, never shuts down. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's very exciting to be a part of. Yeah. So a, a totally different l line, of, line of thought in terms of in terms of the business of keeping it all moving along, um, it always it interests me to it interests me to know the extent to which you know who who helps you do that. I mean, when the Glenn Gould Foundation decides they're going to get in touch with you, do, do you have to be super organized at that level or have good people around you? How does it work? How does you How mean, does one find the, the PR, artist management, uh, all that side of, of holding it together? I mean, I've been very lucky in that regard. Um, I've had a manager since I was still in school, Dean Artist Management. Mm -hmm. um, well, I have, there's a few of them that work together at, at the firm, so I guess I didn't go through what might be difficult for some singers coming out of school or coming out of programs and then trying to find management. I had it uh, quite early. I think I was 21 or so. Um, so I don't know. Um, I don't really know how the career works without one. I've always had one. And then publicity-wise, um, I also got very lucky. My friend uh, Elizabeth Bowman, who mm -hmm. I went to school with, and. I've known since I was probably 11 or 12. Um, she was a singer and then became a publicist just around the time that I needed one. Wow. And I was her first client and we've been working together and as she's learning her craft and kind of getting stronger and more, more and more clientele, um, my needs are growing and I'm also learning what I need. I don't know exactly the extent to, to which you know, publicity and PR management will play a part in my career yet, but something like uh, earlier today, we did a photo shoot for Toronto Life magazine, mm -hmm. and um, she, I guess, got a, arranged that. I've, I've been in their magazine before, and, and from that previous piece, they thought I'd be a good fit for this particular article, and they got in touch with her, and she arranged it. She booked it for me, and, mm -hmm. you know, she's, um, she's really reasonable her rates and I would happily pay more if she's listening <laughs> so I, I think it's uh, it's a no-brainer for me right I don't go all out with the PR I think there's a fine line you don't want to mm -hmm. over market yourself and then have people go like well who does she think she is you know I can't mm -hmm. take this seriously but if you do nothing um, you aren't doing yourself any favors because the world is is becoming a place where presence on the internet and, and presence in the media is mm -hmm. often um, the defining factor and the difference between getting or not getting a job. 
Mm -hmm. As strange as that sounds. So, 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 to what, so to what extent in things like the COC Ensemble program or the Lindemann program or for that matter things like uh, you know the post-secondary programs like the Royal Conservatories, to what extent is it ingrained for people that, that you're a self-employed entrepreneur and you need to know how to run your life that way or you're in trouble? Huh. Well. I again got very lucky from what I've heard from colleagues who went to different schools. The Glen Gould School is way ahead of the curve in that department. Mm -hmm. I had a class every year I was there um, called Career Development and Communications. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were two separate classes. And they taught us things like how to make a website, how to make a press kit, how to uh, craft a really solid biography, how to make a resume that's easy to read and professional. Um, and it wasn't just like one workshop. It was an entire year. Every year I was there. The whole year you took this course and there were multiple assignments. Um, we had um, Andrew Kwan, who's um, an artist manager yeah. for instrumentalists. He taught the course and he taught us how to do grant applications. We had to do a grant application in the class as mm -hmm. an assignment. You had to pretend to be a different instrument than you were and make the whole thing presented to him and he would mark it or grade it as if he were really on a grant panel and and I've consequently received multiple grants from the Canada Council and, and other places simply because it didn't scare me and I was able to do it and I think I did a much better job than if I hadn't taken his course, I, I don't know, <laughs> it would have been mm -hmm. over my head. But yeah, I, I got really lucky. So. I don't know if you go to a, a school, maybe a more traditional university. Mm. I'm not sure what it's like at U of T. They might have the occasional workshop on, um, you know, marketing or publicity or anything to do with that. I, I don't really know, but I do know that while I was at Glen Gould, I would compare notes with colleagues at other schools, and they would say, "Whoa, we don't have anything like that. Mm -hmm. We have no idea how that works." Uh -huh. So it just depends where you go. Uh, the COCs, they're pretty good about it. They they also, though, expect that at the level of that program that you would already kind of have a, a base knowledge. So they're not teaching you the nuts and bolts of, of career management. They're teaching you more like refining things. Mm -hmm. And they're more concerned with, I think, the, the manager aspect. They have us audition for a lot of managers. Same with the Lindemann program. Their mandate is to try and get your career started. Place you. So because I already had one, I, I don't think they really put, put much pressure on me in that regard. But people who don't, they would um, introduce you to managers. They'd make sure they come and hear your performances. They would bring in, sometimes they bring in managers to come and talk to us about what does a manager look for? What mm -hmm. do they want in an artist? How do you make yourself more attractive to them? How do you even get noticed by them? And Again, I probably didn't pay attention, but uh, I think it's definitely an element in, in young artist programs for sure, and some schools, but not all. I think it should be in all. Mm -hmm. It's very important. Yeah, I, I actually have a lot of colleagues come to me and ask for advice because on how how to yeah, yeah how to market yourself, how to how to deal with that whole murky water of publicity, and PR, and and pushing on Career the door management. that's marked push. You know, and, well, how to make your resume uh, reflect your best self. 
so you can sing really well, and if they can't read your resume and, and it's too confusing and it's full of typos, that might just that might get you in the waste bin as opposed to in mm -hmm. the folder. You know, after a day of, of hearing people over and over, if a person, if your materials don't reflect the quality of your performance, mm -hmm. sad as it is to say, uh, that can have a big impact. Where does recording fit into the whole? I've heard some people say that the main reason for recording these days is in order to have your recordings as part of the, mm. the package. Do you mean professional recordings? Mm -hmm. Like with a label? Or just... Labeled, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know where label comes into it these days anymore. But uh, professional happen. quality, not just archival recordings, you know, that... Yeah. I mean, I was thinking, your, your recital you said is at the Gould which is a oh, professional standard recording yeah. studio. Thanks for reminding me, actually. I, I mean to, uh, to see if we can just turn the mics on and, mm -hmm. and, and have something. Even if it's archival or... Yeah, or, I don't plan to release it as a CD. Yeah. I have no intention of, of that, but... But to have to it have as it, part of the package. Yeah. Yeah. Or for my uh, website, maybe, mm -hmm. for YouTube. People hire people off YouTube now. Mm -hmm. If they need someone and they get recommended, Someone says, oh, you should check out that mezzo. I heard her and blah, 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 and she was good. Then they'll find my YouTube video. And if it's good, then they might call my manager. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, then they won't. Yeah, so it's true. It's important. It's really important. Mm -hmm. I'm of the mind that live performances, good live performances, will sell me better than anything I do out of context in a studio. Mm -hmm. So I try and get, you know. Live uh, from the floor yeah. equivalent. I think I'm at my best. Mm -hmm. May not be true for everyone, but generally I find in the moment I do better work than, mm -hmm. than in, in a kind of calculated, um, very careful studio environment. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I would assume, especially in a lot of songs, that, um, that the breathing is... The breathing tells a story from the beginning to the end of the song. It's not each phrase so that studio work often robs you of the ability to actually yeah. breathe right through a whole song from and having feeling no, to thought to feeling. To you. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. To me, I, I do this because I like connecting with audiences, mm -hmm. not because I like hearing myself in a small room with padding on the walls, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if that's what I wanted to do for a career. There's so yeah, that's lots of padded walls yeah. and small rooms. I don't like listening to myself actually. I'd, ra I'd much rather not. That's mm -hmm. another thing against studio recordings. It's probably consistent with most singers. We, we You're don't having to, to microanalyze and re-listen to and go re back and, and evaluate yourself and, and mm -hmm. make the call of whether it's good enough or not. Because always you're gonna feel that it's not good enough. Mm -hmm. You're gonna listen to it and be like, I can do better. So, but your body can't do 50 takes in a day. Yeah. So you, you do have to settle, and that's very frustrating. Mm. I'm actually making my first CD next season. Not me, it's not like Wallace Junta's debut album. It's, uh, it's a song cycle that was written for me by um, a wonderful American composer, William Perry. Mm -hmm. And he, he wrote a, a great piece. I won't give too much away about it because I don't know if I can, if I'm allowed, but it's going to be recorded with the Dublin Symphony. Um, spring of 2014 in Dublin. The Ar Arta, I think it's called, RTE, that, that symphony. Mm -hmm. And it'll be released by Naxos sometime after that. So 
That'll be cool. That will be very cool. And that takes the pressure off me too because it's it's a collaborative effort. There's an orchestra, conductor. Mm -hmm. I'm the only singer in the whole thing. The whole CD is the this large cycle orchestral work, but I think I won't be as hard on myself. Yeah, because mm -hmm. you know I won't be the only one critiquing it. There'll be lots of other people worried about their aspect of the performance. Right, and I mean for an audience, it has a. I mean, this, it sounds like it, there's a story to the recording itself. It's not. Uh -huh. It's not. I'm putting together my my resume CD. No, no, no. It's not this my is debut a album. Piece. This is a. It's a piece he wrote for me. Um, yeah. He said, "I haven't met him yet. We're going to meet in March." But he said he's been following my career, and he wanted to uh, to work with me. So he'd had an idea for this cycle, and um, he thought I'd be a good fit. So he's. He's crafted it to fit my range and, and my kind of personality. And mm -hmm. I'm really honored and really excited. Thank you. Lovely to visit with you again. We should try to make a habit of this sure. when you're in town. Okay. I'll be right. here this time next year.